Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. We'll be in the book of Colossians here uh, this morning, Colossians chapter number three. And we're going to be talking about relationships and how important those relationships are in the life of the believer. And um, some of the things that we're going to talk about is how we treat one another. And it's interesting that Paul writes these things uh, because you've got to, looking at the context of what he's been talking about, uh, he's been telling us about things that we need to be putting off and certain things that we need to be putting on. And we do that through the renewing of our minds, uh, and that's through the renewing of Scripture uh, in our minds. And, uh, you know, we've been made into this new creation in Christ Jesus. If you know Jesus as your Savior, uh, Scripture is very clear. It teaches us that we have been made into a new creature in Christ, and because of that, we can put off the old, and we can put on the new through the renewing of our minds uh, through the Word of God. And really, this process of renewal, it's, it's not instantaneous. It's a lifelong pursuit of maturity in Jesus Christ. And it's a, it's a process that takes time. That's what we call sanctification. That is our growth in Christ. As we are being sanctified, we are being set apart for God, for His use, for His purpose. And God is changing us from the inside out. And he's making changes in our life and our behavior, how we act, how we respond, what we used to do, we don't do anymore, right? And we change uh, our behavior of those things. And uh, let's read our text here. So this is Colossians chapter number three, and verse, uh, beginning in verse number 11. Paul says here, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And... uh, this area that Paul is going to be talking about, about us having healthy relationships, is very important. If you were to look at your relationships in your life right now, would you say that they're healthy or they are on life support? It's important that we have healthy relationships with the body of Christ. Okay? In fact, uh, Scripture actually ranks having good relationships, healthy relationships, really high uh, in its priority. Listen to what Jesus said in uh, Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. 36. A Jewish religious expert came to Jesus and he said, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus replied to him in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 40. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. 
So Jesus really ranked relationships high. He said, it's as important as loving God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. He says, it's just like the first one. And so we got to make sure that as believers, if we have been changed by the power of the gospel, that we have healthy relationships with one another in the body of Christ. You see, a loving relationship with God is of first importance, but loving relationships with others is second. And the Bible is all about those two important relationships. Now, in our text here, Paul gives the prescription of having a healthy relationship with one another. And it's a call, really, to remember the gospel and how God treated you and how he continues to treat you, how he has changed your life. And if you will consistently practice these qualities, you will have healthy relationships. But maybe you're thinking, but you know, Mike, healthy relationships depend on the other person. Well, that's true, okay? But it's vitally important that you as a believer in Christ follow, Jesus, follow God's command, is what he said in Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So it's true, sometimes it's going to be hard to have a good relationship with people, but you shouldn't depend upon them. You should depend upon, it depends upon you to be at peace with them. You know, so sometimes no matter what you try to do, some people are, are hard to get along with. I get that. I understand that, right? I mean, can you imagine if everybody was created like you and thought like you and acted like you? boy, we would have a mess on our hands. And that's the, one of the unique things about the body of Christ is Christ has brought us all together as one body. And we are supposed to get along with one another and have healthy relationships. And so we have to learn how to uh, deal with difficult people. Um, and so Paul says we can do this through these qualities that uh, he lists in here. Um, so we got to have these healthy relationships. And really, you know, this isn't easy stuff to, to listen to, you know. I mean, for us to listen to what he says here and these things about how we're supposed to do it, it, it means that we have to put aside the things that we want. You know, we got to put those things to death is what he talked about, right? we got to be willing to kill all immorality and purity and passion and evil desire and greed. you got to put aside all of our anger, our wrath, our malice, our slander, abusive speech and lying. And we've got to put on, as what our text says here, a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. And the truth is, is that if the gospel has changed you and it is changing you, then we should show how it has changed us and how we treat one another. So we got to be living this way um, and living this out. So this is what I'd like for you to take away with you this morning. Good relationships with others is a result of me treating others just as God has treated me. If you want to have good relationships in your life, then you need to treat others just as God has treated you. And you need to be showing that towards other people. So let's take notice here a couple things. Number one, gospel-shaped relationships begin with God. 
Now, if you're reading through chapter number three, there's this progression, right, that we've been, we've been tracking along with Paul, telling us these are certain things you need to be putting off, right? Put off these things, put off these things, put off these things, put on these things, right? And then we come to verse number 11, and it seems almost out of place. Like, what's verse number 11 doing there, right? It just kind of really doesn't follow the flow of thought, because, I mean, look at it, verse number 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. And he's talking about the body of Christ here. But before that, he has been talking about putting off these things. Put away sexual immorality, put away anger, put away lying, right? Put away these things, but then all of a sudden he shifts gears. He's like, all right, let me tell you about the body of Christ now. Seems really out of place. But this verse is really important because it is the basis that really feeds the rest of the chapter. But also if you get what Paul is saying about the body of Christ here and who Christ is, it helps us understand our union with Christ, who we are in Jesus, our identity. It helps us understand why we should be putting off the old self and putting on the new self. And Paul ends verse number 11 with this truth statement. Notice what he says, Christ is all and in all. So I got two questions about that. What does that mean? And what does it have to do with my relationships with others? Well, first of all, in context, Christ is all means that Christ is all that matters. That's it. He is the beloved son, is what Paul reminded us in uh, Colossians 1, 15 through 18. Remember where he goes through that whole thing? He is the firstborn of all creation. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of the dead. He is the head of the church, right? Christ is all. He is all that matters. And he reconciles all things to himself. He is the Lord. He is all that matters. But Christ is not only all, but notice, he is also in all. Now, Paul here is not teaching some strange doctrine of pantheism, which believes since God created everything, that means that God is in everything, such as, you know, God is in the, in the bees and the trees and the fleas, okay? That's not what he's saying, right? You hear sometimes people say, oh, you know, I just like to go out to the nature because... That's where God is. You know, he's in the trees, and I, I worship him out there. No, God is not in the trees. Sorry. That's not what Scripture's teaching here. Okay? Well, what is he saying? He says, Christ is in all. Look at the context. What is he in all? All of what? He is in all Christians because of our union with him. If you have believed the gospel that Jesus died for your sins and took your penalty of suffering God's wrath upon the cross and that he was buried and rose again, then you are in union with him. You are in the body of Christ. Christ is in all those who have believed that gospel message, whether they're Jewish, whether they're Gentile, Australian, whether they're American, whether they're single or married, a student or worker, a doctor or a doorman, young or old. He is in all Christians who struggle with the temptations of sexual immorality, evil desires, covetousness, idolatry, sinful anger, its behaviors, and lying. Christ is in all. We are in him. So no matter who you are, if you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, 
then you have been filled in him. You have died and been buried with him. And you have been raised with him and you will appear with him in glory when he comes. This and nothing else is the most important thing about you. Your identity is found in him. And if we want to have a good relationships with others then, then we need to understand our union with Christ. John Owen wrote, Our greatest hindrance in the Christian life is not our lack or efforts, but our lack of acquaintances with our privileges. What privileges do you have as a child of God? You have been brought into his family. He has treated you with immense kindness. He's been forgiving towards you. He's shown you mercy and grace. He showered you with favor in your life. We have all of this in Christ. And as we become more acquainted with the privilege of being in Christ, this will enable us not only to turn away from the ungodly behaviors of our past, but also to start clothing ourselves in the good behaviors of one who is a citizen from heaven. And so if you are a citizen of heaven, then act like it. If your citizenship is with Christ right now, then you need to be behaving that way. And you need to be putting away these things and start acting the way that God would desire for you to look to act less. Secondly, what does that true statement, Christ is all and it all have to do with my relationships? Everything. You see, our union with Christ should affect even our relationships. Look at verse number 12. I love this. He continues, right? He continues our, this thought of who we are in Christ, okay? Put on then, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Now, your translation may begin verse 12 with the word so or therefore, the SV here just simply states it as because of this true statement of our union with Christ. Put on then, right? So, therefore, because of your union with Christ, put on then. Act this way. Live this out. It's showing that verse 12 here follows from what became before that. And the flow of thought is because we have laid aside the old man, what we were in Adam, right? And have put on the new man, what we are in Christ. He says, because of this new man, old differences no longer matter, but Christ is all and in all. It doesn't matter if you're a slave or free. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. This is what's wrong with all that stuff, with the race stuff that they're really trying to push, right? If you're a Christian, you should not sit there and embrace that kind of garbage because it goes against the gospel, because in Christ, we're all on level ground. We are all sinners, right? Okay? So in Christ, we are all the same. And so those differences no longer matter, but Christ is all in all. Therefore, we should put on these qualities listed here, which we'll look at shortly. But all of this is foundation to putting on those qualities, understanding who we are in Jesus. We've got to understand our union with him that we are in Christ. We are part of his body. And so gospel-shaped relationships begin with God. How do we know that it begins with God? Because it says so. Now see it in the text there? What does it say? Verse number 12. 
put on then, read it with me, as God's chosen. Did you get that? Where did our relationship begin? It began with God. God chose us. That's what it says. Now, I realize sometimes statements like this cause some tension in us, right? We like to, I don't know about that. Scripture says that he chose us. God has graciously chosen us. That means that if you're a Christian, it's not because you first chose God. God chose you. That's what it says. He chose you before the foundation of the world is what Ephesians 1, 4 through 5 tells us. And that truth should be a great comfort for every believer. Why? Because I understand that there is tension with these statements in God's word, but that's what God's word says, right? And I will say, however, just because you have this statement and others such as uh, John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Others in Luke 10, 21 through 22, John 6, 65, John 8, 43, Romans 8, 7 through 8, Romans 9, 16 through 18, 1 Corinthians 2, 14, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Ephesians 2, 1 through 9, and Philippians 1, 29, clearly show that God has chosen us. And we still must understand, though, that there's a balance in God's word. So even though you have this tension, right, of, well, God chose me, there's a balance, however, and that balance is that we are still called to preach the gospel to every creature. We are still called to command men to repent and believe, right? They still have an obligation to repent and believe. So yes, you have this tension, but you've got to hold them both in tension. God's word says that. But yet also, there's, that does not negate the human responsibility to repent and to believe. It still does not negate the responsibility of proclaiming the gospel to every person. Okay? So it says that that relationship began by God. God chose us as God's chosen ones. And so Paul describes to us what it means to be chosen by God. Look what he says here. He uses two words, holy and beloved. To be holy means to be set apart unto God, separate from the world. Beloved means that we're just the special objects of God's love, just as a wife is to her husband. We often think of holiness negatively, right? As telling us what we can't do, right? Uh, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't dance, and I don't go with the girls that do. Right? Is that holiness? No. Can you imagine a girl? <laughs> it's pretty disgusting, isn't it? How you doing, baby? <laughs> All right, block that mental picture out of your mind. Okay. But holiness is the fact that we've been set apart for God's special purpose and use. And he says that we're beloved. It's a positive concept when we think about this. Picture a wife who is set apart from others for her husband who loves her. She delights to keep herself from others and to give herself exclusively to him because of his love. And so we too should keep ourselves pure from this evil world and be exclusively devoted to Christ who loved us and chose us as his bride. 
But why does Paul mention that we are chosen by God, holy and beloved, right? Well, because in the context of talking about healthy relationships, there's two reasons. First of all, it's not easy for me to kill my selfishness and anger and to practice these Christ-like qualities toward others, especially towards difficult people. But it's easier when I remember how God loved me and chose me when I was not very lovely. It helps me practice these qualities when I remember that God adopted me and brought me into His family knowing the very worst about me. God didn't wait for you to get all cleaned up. He didn't say, okay, well, I'll tell you what, uh, why don't you get all polished up and come back and then I'll take you. No. He took you at your worst, a sinner, dead in your trespasses and sins. He chose you, loved you, and separated you unto himself. Secondly, seeing myself as the object of God's gracious, sovereign love set apart unto him frees me to love even those who are difficult to love. If I'm dependent on the other person's response for my sense of security, I won't risk loving someone who might reject me. But if I'm secure in God's love for me, I am free to love those who may not return my love. If someone insults me, I'll feel hurt. I mean, let's be honest. Does anybody in here like getting insulted? If you do, I got the perfect uh, uh, app for you. It's called uh, Insults uh, by Martin Luther. And it's a website, right? And it, it just, it's like this thing that repeats. Like You just hit refresh, and he'll insult you. And these are actual quotes by Martin Luther that he wrote to the church, the, the Catholic church, about you know, what they were doing and proclaiming. It's really cool. I'll send it to you if you want it. But you can get insulted by Martin Luther. It's really neat. Um, but nobody likes to be insulted, unless it's for fun, right? Um, but when we get insulted, you know what we want to do? We want to retaliate, don't we? We want to fire back an insult. We want to say something that just goads that person and says, yeah, see, I can do it too, right? That's what we like to do. But if we're secure in Jesus, if we're secure in his love, even though if people say bad things about us and they insult us, how are we supposed to respond? Well, 1 Peter 3.9 says, do not return evil for evil or insult for insult. But instead, bless others because you were called to inherit a blessing. See the difference there? I can give a blessing instead because I'm secure in God's love for me. That's what Paul is saying here. God's treatment of us is the basis for our treatment of others. God has chosen us in love to be set apart to himself when we weren't worthy of his love. And so begin uh, this, uh, this, this understanding of, of who you are in Christ, that you are, that you are beloved, that you are holy, that God loves you. And in understanding your identity will help you deal with difficult people in your life. Because you got to remember the gospel. you got to remember that Christ loved you and showed his love towards you in that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for us. So let's look at these qualities that we are to be showing towards others here. 
Secondly, just as you have been treated by God, treat others the same. Now, in verse 12 here, Paul's going to list five virtues that we are uh, to be displaying to others to have the right relationships. Uh, And these words are nouns, but in verse 13, we see bearing with one another and then also forgiving each other. And these describe of how we are to be putting these into action by bearing with one another and forgiving one another. But uh, I'm going to treat these both as uh, the same as those five there, okay? Uh, And I think it will help us understand a little bit more how to have healthy relationships. Now, it should be noted, though, that all of these character qualities are character qualities of Jesus Christ. He showed all of these qualities when he was on the earth dealing with even difficult people. He was compassionate and kind, that's Matthew 9.36 and also Matthew 14.14. He was humble and gentle, that's Matthew 11.29. He was patient, forbearing, and forgiving, that's 1 Peter 2.23 and Luke 23.34. He is our great example of how we are to relate towards others. And as we learn how to put on these qualities... We're really putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, is what uh, Romans 13, 14, and becoming more like him. And remember, all of this has to do with our identity in Christ. Who are you in Jesus? Do you understand your relationship that you have with Jesus? Do you understand who you are in him, that you're secure, right? That you're holy, that you're beloved, that you're chosen by God? Do you understand that? Because if you understand that, It will help you live out these qualities towards other people. So here's here's what they are. Let's look at them. First of all, we should treat others with compassion. Now, the King James Version translates this this way with bowels of mercy. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Bowels of mercy. Yeah, give me another bowel of mercy there. need another one. A bowel of mercy. The closest English equivalent is what we mean when we say heart. So a heart of compassionate or compassionate hearts captures this idea. The main thing to grasp is that this is an emotional term. Being moved to compassion involves the feelings, not just the head. It means being touched by the needs of people so that we respond with appropriate action to help them. We are so moved uh, by what is happening that we decide to help. Jesus used this word to describe the good Samaritan who felt compassion for the wounded traveler and was moved to help him in Luke 10.33. He used it uh, as the father of the prodigal son who, when he saw his wayward son coming back home, he was moved with compassion and he ran towards him and fell upon him, weeping, kissing him, right? That's compassion. Jesus felt compassion for the widow of Nain who had lost her only son in Luke 7.13. When Jesus saw the multitudes, he felt compassion for them in Matthew 9.36. On another occasion, Jesus and his disciples withdrew to a lonely place. And Jesus says, like, hey, all right, we're going to take a rest now. And all of a sudden, here comes all these people showing back up. And you know what the disciples told Jesus to tell them? Same thing that you would have said. Send them away. Get them out of here. We don't want these people right now. we got time to rest. But what did Jesus do? He was moved with compassion. 
because he saw them as sheep scattered abroad without having a shepherd. He felt compassion for them. If you lack compassion, you're too focused on yourself and not enough on others' needs. And Jesus had compassion on others. And so when you encounter a difficult person and you're inclined to be irritated rather than to have compassion for them, ask them what's going on. Is there something that's going on in your life right now? Obviously, I mean, there's something, right? I mean, you're irritated. There's, there's something that's happening. How can I pray for you? You're moved with compassion towards them. Okay? And by doing that, it will help you overlook their irritating behavior and show them the Lord's compassion on them. Secondly, we should treat others with kindness. To be kind means to be free from all which is harsh, rough, and bitter. This word was used to describe wine that had mellowed in uh, Luke 5.39. It didn't bite or leave a bitter taste. Now, I'm not a wine connoisseur, um, so I don't really know what uh, bitter wine tastes like. But obviously it's supposed to taste good. Uh, but if we are supposed to be treating others with kindness, it shouldn't be harsh, rough, or bitter. A kind person is not demanding and pushy. He gives others room to be imperfect without crawling all over them. I think uh, Joseph is a great example of this. Remember Joseph who was sold into slavery uh, and uh, his family there forsook him. Uh, there at the young age, about 17 years old, I mean sold into slavery. It wasn't until he was about 40-something years old, he finally sees his brothers and he reveals to them who he is. He says, I am Joseph. Boy, his brothers were terrified of what might happen, but what did Joseph do? He showed them he wasn't harsh with them. He wasn't rude or bitter or pushy. Now, Joseph could have said, hey, you know who I am? I'm Joseph. I'm, I'm second in command. You're done. Off with their heads. Could have done that. But he didn't. Instead, he treated them with kindness. Jesus said that God himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men in Luke 6.35. Paul said that the kindness of God leads us to repentance in Romans 2.4. Peter said that the tasting of God's kindness should motivate us to long for the sincere milk of the word that we may grow in respect to salvation in 1 Peter 2, 1-3. And if we'll show kindness to those who are not kind to us, it will often motivate them to repentance and growth. And so we need to be kind towards individuals who are not kind to us. Thirdly, we should treat others with humility. It's often said that if you think you're humble, you're not. Be aware of the person who says, I'm really humble. They're not humble, they're proud, okay? How will we know if we're humble? Well, first, a humble person is Christ-sufficient, not self-sufficient. A humble person consciously relies on the Lord and recognizes that God has given him all that he has. That's 1 Peter 5, 5-7, 1 Corinthians 4, 7. He knows that he is weak in himself, but he is strong when he trusts in God's strength. 2 Corinthians 12, 9-10, and Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through who? Through Christ, which strengthens me. 
Second, a humble person has a proper evaluation of himself. Paul said in Romans 12, 3, For though the grace... Uh, for though the, the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. And he goes on to talk about using the gifts that God has blessed a person with and how they are to be used to be serving one another. And a humble person doesn't think that he's indispensable in God's program. Nor does he think so lowly of himself that he neglects the gifts that God has given him to use. Third, a humble person esteems others more highly than himself. As Paul said in Philippians 2, 3-4, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with all humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look on out for your own personal interests, but also for the, for the interest of others. And he goes on to cite the example of Jesus who laid aside his own glory, took upon himself the form of a servant, became obedient even unto the death of a cross. And Jesus was humble. Fourthly, we should treat others with gentleness. Again, the King James Version translated as meekness. And uh, really, there's not a really good word here for uh, this thing about gentleness. It does not mean to be a mild-mannered, compliant, milk-toast individual. Well, okay, whatever you want, I guess so. Yeah, that's fine with me. No, that's not meekness. Okay? Meekness is power under control. That's meekness. Our Lord was meek. You know, sometimes we get this picture of Jesus, you know, he's just this, uh, uh, okay, I'll do whatever you No, that's not Jesus, okay? Our Lord was a man. He was meek. He had immense power, but it was power under control. The gentle person is not a self-willed, but surrendered to do God's will. This word, it's interesting, it was used in uh, classical Greek of trained animals such as a horse was such strong and powerful in battle, but yet it was totally submissive to the rider who was riding it. That rider could control that horse. Plato used the word of a gentle doctor who used only enough force as in setting a broken bone to bring healing. Do you set broken bones? And I know you've probably done some some things with broken bones as well, right? Don't ask me to set a broken bone. I don't know what I'm doing. I'll send you to uh, Sean or Edie, okay? They'll help you out. <laughs> Mostly Edie, okay? But using that force to push that bone back where it needs to go, right? There's power there, but it's under control. And so the gentle person will sometimes be strong to confront sin, but only strong enough to bring about healing. That's Galatians 6.1 and 2 Timothy 2.25. Fifthly, we should treat others with patience. Kindness, gentleness, and patience are listed really in the fruit of the Spirit. It's Galatians 5.22-23. The word for patience literally means long-tempered, as opposed to a short fuse long 
tempered. It means being tolerant of imperfections, differences, and faults in others. The patient person gives others time to change and room to make mistakes in the process. It's a virtue that is is especially difficult for those of us who are perfectionists. If you are a perfectionist, then it's really hard for you to be patient with other people. Because you want it done, you want it done now, and you want it done your way. But you have to be patient with people. And so you should be patient. Six, we should treat others with forbearance. This means putting up with someone's faults and idiosyncrasies. Now some of us just do stupid stuff. And we act really, sometimes, just ridiculous, okay? Did you know that I didn't know how irritating I was until I got married? (laughs) Oh man, I got some stories. (laughs) And after so many years, finally my wife tells me, she says, will you please just stop doing that? Now, wife, you're supposed to be patient, right? But we got to learn how to forbear with people, putting up with things that they do that may just seem to grind on us or really upset us, okay? We need to recognize that being different doesn't necessarily mean being wrong. And if we just face it, a lot of us aren't just... We aren't just black and white people sometimes, right? Sometimes there's areas in our life that aren't just clearly defined. And so we got to be willing to forbear with others who aren't like us. And just because I've always done something a certain way doesn't mean that everyone has to do it my way. We must never be forbearing when it comes to biblical moral absolutes, though, right? If there are things in Scripture that are clearly defined in Scripture, we take a stand on those things, right? But things that are not clearly defined, right, things that are not black and white, okay, we're able to extend grace towards others. We're able to be forbearing with other people. Number seven, we should treat others with forgiveness. Rather than holding a grudge or harboring bitterness and resentment, we must forgive those who wrong us. You must. You must forgive them. It's not a, well, you don't know what they did to me, though. No, you must forgive them. Why? Because God's Word commands that you do. Now, do you you notice that many of these qualities are needed only when you have a complaint against somebody? When somebody's really just grinding on you and they're just really making your life difficult, that's really when you need these qualities. So you can't really excuse yourself by saying, well, I'd treat him right if he would treat me better. You wouldn't need patience, forbearance, or forgiveness if everyone treated you well then. right? Notice what Paul says here about forgiveness. We are to forgive, notice what he says here, Just as the Lord forgave you. That's a lot, isn't it? How many sins did God forgive of yours? 
50%? All of them. And out of all of those sins, how many of them will send you to hell? All of them. How many of them were needed to send you to hell? Just one. But the Lord is so gracious and merciful to you that he forgave you. And not asking anything in return. He forgave you all. Now this quality that says we're supposed to be doing, he says we are supposed to forgive those just as the Lord has forgiven us. The word used here for forgiveness has the idea of undeserved favor. We didn't deserve God's forgiveness. But he provided for it and granted it freely in Christ at great cost to himself. What did forgiveness cost God? His son. His one and only son, Jesus. He paid the price, but he doesn't make us pay. God's forgiveness means that he will never bring up our sins as evidence to condemn us. He never hauls out our past as leverage against us. And even though he legitimately could, the Lord doesn't make us feel put down because he was so generous as to forgive us. And what Paul said in Ephesians 1, 7 through 8, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. And so his forgiveness means total acceptance and restored fellowship with us. And compassion involves our feelings. Forgiveness is primarily a decision. You don't have to feel, well, I, I feel like I can forgive them now. No. Forgiveness is releasing them, saying, I forgive you. I forgive you. It's a decision, something that you must do and we must do it. You choose to absorb the wrong and not allow it to be a barrier between you and the other person. The feelings may follow if you struggle with feeling forgiven after you've granted it. Do something kind for that individual then. Show them that you have forgiven them. And that extends forgiveness, that extends grace towards them, uh, that maybe they wronged them. You know, God never extends forgiveness until there is repentance. He showers those who have wronged him with repeated kindness until they come to repentance. And we must do the same, hard as it is to do. We must show others forgiveness. Now, are these virtues possible? Yes. How do I know that? Because God never commands us to do something in Scripture that we cannot do. Because remember, who are you in Jesus? You're part of his body. Who do you have living inside of you? The Holy Spirit. You have his word. You have the power of his spirit. You can put off the old and you can put on the new. So how can we actually do this? Let me offer four quick suggestions in helping all of us have these gospel-shaped relationships. Here they are. Number one, begin by focusing on Jesus Christ, who he is, what did he do, how did he live? Remember that. 
Secondly, recall the gospel, the good news. Remember that it was Christ who died for you while you were a sinner and dead in your trespasses and sins. Christ took your sin debt. God has forgiven you for every sin, not because you were worthy of His forgiveness or did something worthy enough to receive His forgiveness or grace, but simply for His own glory and to showcase His love towards you through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus, that He resurrected from the dead. Thirdly, remember your union with Christ. Meditate on the relationship and the privileges you have in Him. Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? Fourthly, practice these virtues. Get into the habit of living and acting this way. Showing kindness towards people. Showing mercy. Showing compassion. Being gentle towards others. Forgiving others when they wrong you. In Christ, we can change. It can, it'll take time, but we can change. And it will, it will change if we practice these things and put them into practice. Well, let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.